so we're looking at James this morning, one, two through eight, and uh, we've been going through James in large group for RUF this semester, and uh, so we're going to go through it this morning here. And if I, as a qualification, when I say something like tonight, I'm just, this is sort of my refrain, because always teaching at night for RUF, so just, just ignore those kind of things and come back next week. Uh, <laughs> James 1, 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in, his, in all his ways. This is the word of God. All of our glory, everyone in this room, all of our glory is like the grass and the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God, it stands forever. Um, safe start. I don't know if you guys know what Safe Start is, but I'm proud to say that I have three kids who have graduated. They have diplomas. They have caps and gowns um, from graduating from Safe Start Swimming. Uh, It's a course, Safe Start's a course, uh, you know, Louisiana's not that different than Florida where we we used to live, but it's a, you know, in Florida it's, you're trying to find dry ground. Uh, There's swimming pools, there's lakes everywhere, but it's it's a, Safe Start's a course that teaches basically babies to float and to get to a wall if they fall in a pool. Teaches them how to make it to a wall if they fall in a pool. Um, And ultimately, you know, the end goal of of Safe Start is not just that they would get to a wall, but that they would learn how to swim and one day they'd be able to swim like fish um, and enjoy the beauty of of swimming pools and and being able to swim. But if you want to watch a spectacle, if you want to watch something crazy and scary and terrifying... Go and watch an infant. I'm, talking, I'm not talking like little kids. These are like babies. <laughs> like, you know, baby babies. It's like, you know, like, I, I don't want to do it. I, I can't do it here. But baby babies. That basically, all they do is go potty and maybe smile some. You know, they're, they're tiny babies that, it, that this is happening to. But go and watch the spectacle and watch them just basically flipped over in the water and watch them turn over, go under, turn over on their back, and listen and watch in their eyes the, the utter fear, fear and the terror of confusion. Um, you know, this is the picture of Safe Start is nothing like the album cover for Nirvana. It's not like <laughs> the the picture, the look in the baby's eyes is, "Why are you killing me?" <laughs> And then if that's something else, watch a mother or father watch their baby do that, which is terrifying to see the face, and it's heartbreaking to watch as their kid, you know, painstakingly looks at them, why are you killing me? And again, of course, the kid has, this, this baby has no idea that the thing that is hurting them isn't to hurt them. It's to make them not just live and not drown, but to enjoy the beauty of diving off a diving board and, and Right? Doing cannonballs someday. <laughs> Knife openers. I mean, come on. Uh, playing Marco Polo. I mean, right? There's something still amazes me now is watching 
looking back and remembering this now, but like watching our kids, but kids can play in pool in pools for doing nothing for hours and like for days. With not even playing a game, they can just enjoy a pool all day. And then you know what's the worst is when somebody uh, makes their lunch for them and makes them get out of the pool. <laughs> what? We were doing nothing but jumping in. It was amazing, and you're making me get out. Uh, but that's what you, ultimately that's what you want. And say sorry, it's not just for your kid to die, but for them to enjoy swimming and, and enjoy the pool. In some some ways, I want to say that James is, is sort of sitting us down today and telling us something we, we may know, and I think, at least for me, I often forget. He's saying you've been made for something beautiful, and God is committed. He is bound in blood. That's what a covenant is. He, he covenants with us. He binds himself in blood to us. He's committed to making his children beautiful, free, healed. God is committed to the good of those who love him. He's committed for our good, even when it feels like he is not, especially when it feels like he is not, even when it feels like he is drowning you. God is committed to his children. In some ways, uh, I think what James is asking us as well is, by the way, James, is, this is the brother of Jesus. I, I always think it's amazing. This is the one who grew up next to Jesus. He's given us his testimony. It's, that's amazing to me. Um, I don't think I'd want my brothers to be sharing, telling about me. But, but James is telling us some good words about Jesus. But he's, he's asking us, he's showing us to be consistent with understanding God, with how we, he, we really understand the world that we live in. Right? If you want to be a guitarist, there will be calluses on your fingers, I think. I'm not a guitarist, but that's what I hear. If you want to be a doctor, you will study. If you want to win a championship, you will, you'll run wind sprints. You'll, you'll condition, and depending on the sport. Uh, if you want to be like Christ, you will experience trials and suffering. Let me pray, and we'll, and we'll look into, into this. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for these ancient words. Lord, would you be with us? Would you be with those in the room? Lord, uh, truly, I, I hope for those who are in the middle of trials right now that this will not be something that, that beats them down, but will lift their eyes to Jesus. Oh, would you be so gracious to do that and bring healing? And for those, Lord, um, who are about to go through trials, would you encourage us? Would you be with us? Would you hide my folly? And would you speak your word? And would you put your grace upon your people this morning as we hear it, as we respond to it, as we live in light of the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. So the way we're going to look at our text this morning is first, the first thing we'll look at is trials. Avoid them at all costs. And then the second thing we're going to look at is trials. If you find them unavoidable, here are some things that you really need to know, or you should know, or you, you, sh- you might want to know. So first, trials. Avoid them at all costs. Um, you need to avoid them at all costs. There are things that God sends that when you see it, sorry, you will feel like that, that it's there to, to, to hurt you and maybe even destroy you. Those things, when they show up, that you think, this thing's here to, to destroy me. But they have a purpose. You know, uh, one reason I think that we try with everything we got to avoid trials, at least speaking for myself, is we want control. And we don't want something to disrupt our comfort and our peace. I love control, and I don't want something to disrupt my comfort and peace. 
And ultimately, I think this is a, a, a real struggle for at least most of us, is we're set on avoiding discomfort. We're set on not losing control. One of the conclusions I've kind of come to over the years um, is that everyone in the room is a control freak. Let me explain that a little bit. You know, I think we tend to think control freaks are people who are maybe type A or kind of people who grab the bull by the horns. Because it's there that they feel most comfortable, most in control, right? But you can, you can be a control freak by being pa- passive. Because in that passivity or in, that, in those moments, you're doing the same thing. You're, you're, it's a place where you, you're trying to find control of your world and your life. They look totally different. But ultimately, I think both of them are saying, like, I want to go to a place where it's at least the, the least amount of uncomfortableness. Or the most comfortable for, for me. Um, and it looks different, but I think all of us struggle, or most of us at least struggle with that. We set up our lives to be most comfortable and, and, and most controllable. Most safe. Uh, I think this takes on many forms. In Baton Rouge, I don't know all the ways. And, and truly, when I say this, uh, anything I say here, I, I probably struggle with probably more than you do. Uh, but I was thinking, like, what are some ways in which we do this? And what are ways that we, 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 we want the most safe way? I think one way that this happens is staying at arm lengths of gospel communities. Like, staying at arm's length from community. Relationally, it's, it's, it's just safer to be guarded. If you get deep into relationships, not just an inch deep, right? Not just like, you might find out you're not that good at it. The relationships are hard. Um, if you get into relationships, like real relationships, it's not, it's not comfortable to have to forgive people. It's not comfortable to have to be forgiven. But that's what happens. You'll have to forgive and you'll have to be forgiven. So we play it safe. We want to be close enough to be liked, but not close enough to be known. Um, And so we play it safe. Uh, Another way I think this happens is maybe it's it's with family. And families are are not complicated at all, right? Uh, But maybe there's something foundationally wrong. There's something really broken in your family. Uh, I'm not saying it's all bad, but there's something that's really broken. But nobody, I mean nobody, speaks up against so-and-so or that situation. No one speaks into that situation. Right? And and, and in your mind, I think the excuse for me would be like, man, well, I'm the youngest. That shouldn't be my job. Or if I do this, what good is it going to do anyway? If I say something, what good, you know, like, what's the point of rocking the boat if there's something? Like, what's the point? And so comfort and safety, I think, it's, it's just a safer way to do. It's, it's just to avoid it. Don't say the thing that might cause the, the, the waves to sort of start crashing again. Maybe another way is, is just dealing with the real you. Dealing with um, the you that, that, uh, that's hard to, to, to even want to go and deal with. The stuff that's in your heart, maybe more than the surface stuff. But the things that if you went there, it's just, it's just scary. I know I'm always probably, um, Kelly could probably tell you this, probably a, a year or two late from getting counseling when I need it. Um, maybe three years or four years. Uh, I mean, why even open up old wounds? What's that going to do? It, it only hurt worse. Um, how's, how's it going to help to, to grieve and to cry? And then you say, I mean, side note, I mean, the Psalms have a lot of limits. 
Does God know what he's doing? Um, maybe we sometimes need to grieve. Sometimes we need to cry. Maybe it's racism, right? When it, racism, instead of getting to know people on the other side of the aisle, people that are different than you, isn't it just easier to just post something on social media? But I think that's safe. What's dangerous is when you befriend people who don't look like you and you get to know them. Because it might mess up your worldview and the way you view people. Um, Dan Allender, an author, guy I like, I like he said, if you want 500-foot healing, stay 500 feet away from your problems. Or 5,000, stay 5,000. If you want 10 feet, stay 10 feet above your problems. But if you want healing, you have to get, if you want healing, healing, like, you've got to get into the dirt where, where it's at. Um, I was talking earlier this semester with Jackie and some students and uh, at breakfast, and I was amazed about, we were talking about gymnasts, because that's what you do at breakfast. Uh, me talking with a bunch of girls, it was awesome. Uh, I didn't mean that in a bad way, sorry. Uh, I really didn't. Just please come back next week. Uh, but what we're talking about, and they enlighten me on is, I guess there's some shows, but how gymnasts will work so hard at their craft that sometimes they'll get hurt or whatever, something will happen and they have to stop working out and, like they do 50 hours a day. And they'll realize that they stunted their growth because immediately, like the first month, they'll grow inches or some feet, I don't know. But like, they'll realize that they, they hadn't grown since they were like this big because they work out like 20 hours a day or, or whatever. And I want to propose that when we avoid, try to avoid trials, one, we will find out that none of us is bulletproof. No one has a, the, the, the force field. No one does. And two, what happens actually, I think, is that we will stunt ourselves in, in our maturity. We work so hard for comfort that it, in some ways it's, it really does truly stunt our maturity. We avoid the things that um, can, can actually help us grow the most. James says we'll be tossed and flipped by the waves of life that will come. You know, there's studies that have been going around. These have been happening for a while, but I know there were some big ones that came out recently talking about college students and helicopter parenting. Um, and you guys know what helicopter parenting is, but it's interesting. And basically, all studies are finding out that all these, that these parents that are helicopter parents, um, and the whole idea is, right, you want, to, uh, you want your kid, and I, and I think all parents get this on one level, you don't want your kids to suffer. But helicopter parent is keeping your kids away from all trials, any kind of struggle. And what's happening, these kids get to college, and, um, and it's a disaster. It's a total disaster. Because they've never had to go through anything in life, um, right? And they meet their, their roommate who's an atheist and loves people better than any Christian they've ever met. And they're like, what do I do? Like, this doesn't, you know, like, and the whole time their parents are like, don't go near the atheist. And if you're an atheist, welcome to South Baton Rouge. This is how Christians sometimes talk and think. Don't go near them because they might, they might like bring something bad into the kid. And, and so these kids, it stunts the reality, it stunts their growth. And the reality is, is when we avoid these things, we'll be, we'll be stunted. Um, instead of being hurt and sad when the relationships end, right? So, you, like, what happens is, I think, by the way we, we go towards safety and comfort, is instead of just being hurt, we, we become undone. So trials, avoid them at all costs, and, and it will cost you heavily. You'll miss life. 
I think the life, honestly, and I, this is hard for me to believe, especially in trials, but the life that, you, that I really want and you really want. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. It's probably been quoted a lot. And it's worth being quoted a lot. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Oof. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will be broken. It will, become, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Avoid trials at all costs and you will avoid life. Second thing we're going to look at, trials, if you can't avoid them... If you find them unavoidable, here are some things to know. James, when he talks about how these trials come, he uses the Greek word for meat, which is used only two times in the New Testament. Once in the story of the Good Samaritan, it's, uh, it's the word meat when, uh, when, when, the, when he falls among the robbers. Boom. Like, like it or not, you're among them. You, you, they, he met the, the robbers. And the second time is when Paul is with people, when he's, he's out on the missionary journey, he's on the boat, I think it's like the 14th day of like the storm, and the ship wrecks. And the, and the word meet, is, it's the word that's used when the ship meets the reef. It collides with the reef. So same word for meeting trials. Is this what you want in your life? No. Is, Paul, is James saying go out and just go run and find trials? No. But like it or not, in some ways, this is what he's saying. This is, this is how it goes. This is how it happens. Life is happening. And sometimes you, you, your, your life crashes into the reef. You meet the trial. Uh, I want you to count it all joy when you meet trials. You know, this is when you get the letter saying you didn't get into the grad school of your choice. This is when your boss tells you maybe you're let go. Or you're going to have to move your whole family to a different world. This is maybe um, the breakup text. Uh, in the old days, it used to be, never mind. I'm not going to say that, then I'll be really bad. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you get the news that you, you, that you can't have children, or at least biologically. You get the blood work back last semester after a year. When I get the call and then the letter saying I was being sued for a fender bender. Um, you know, you get, maybe it's when you get that call from your parents or somebody you love saying, we need to talk. Uh, it's not something you look for. But in life, you will meet trials. They will come. And the trial is testing your faith. James is so heavy on imperatives and he gives us command. When you fall upon these trials, when you meet them, he is not testing your works. He's not testing your goodness. He is testing your faith. This is what God's doing. He's testing your saving faith. Faith is defined in Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When you fall into this thing, your faith is being tested. A test of your conviction of the things that aren't seen, the things that that we hope for. So another thing I think you need to know, if you can't avoid trials, is that when, when they come, when trials come, count it joy. This seems crazy, but, but James says, count them joy. 
Let me say that part of why joy is so elusive is because I, th- I think, at least personally, I think we think joy and happiness are the same thing. I remember times vividly in college, I, was, I think I was becoming a Christian. I remember being in a room like this. And I remember looking around and saying, why is everyone else happy and I'm not? And I would run that through constantly. I would think that, man, they, they like, they're happy. Um, and I think we define happiness on other, or other people's sort of inward reality based on their external expressions. Or their show. Or the mask that we put on when we come into a room or when we, when we do life. You know, and one of the, the, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I think one of the things that's changed in my life is I've got to know a lot of college students who have really, their show is happiness. And, and I've sat across the table with, you know, tons of college students. And I realized that deep down that, that that's, not, that's not what's going on. Um, if you guys have seen the movie Inside Out, no spoiler, it's a good movie. Uh, but not everybody's joy. And actually, most joys aren't joy. I want to be bing bong, but I'm not. Uh, but Christian joy is best defined this way. This is the best definition I've heard. It's from this guy named Jeremiah, Jeremiah Burroughs, who died many years ago. But this is a, a quote from his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, Christian joy is a relational reaction to God in any situation out of knowledge and trust in Him and in His character in who He really is. Trusting in His character, who God really is. It's kind of like this. It's God, I don't... It's God, I don't know why I'm choking on water, but I know that you are good, but I'm choking on water, but I know you're good, but I'm choking on water, but you're good. It's God, I'm choking on water, but not once in the history of mankind have you dropped one of your children. You're not going to start with me, but I'm choking on water. It's not like, yeehaw, this is a... Example. It's not, yes, I'm single. I want to be single forever. That's not, that, only that's Christian contentment. I think if, if, you, if you struggle being single, I think it's, it's God, I want to be married. But God, my hands are open. But I want to be married. But my hands are open because you love me and you're good. It's hard. But my hands are open. Uh, and I think this is what it means to count a joy. Or reckon it, or hold it, or just posit it. If there's this action that's not natural to me, but it's to sort of take it to the bank. Sometimes in my own heart, often in my own heart, when I walk on campus, I've got to have these conversations with me and God. God, you've called me to this. You're good. It feels like I'm going to die today, <laughs> but you're good. I mean, in some ways, that's how. Some days, that's how I have to deposit it and count it in, in certain trials. But most, and this is what I realized, I think, doing even this talk or the sermon, is most of my life is putting myself in a position to not have to live by faith. Most of my life is putting myself in a position where I don't have to live by faith. I realized uh, practically 
live to need a life that has as little need of faith as possible. I want faith, though. There's a side of me that wants faith. But when, it, when trials come, when the anxieties come, when failures come, when success is not coming, when those things are happening, um, I realize, like, God, do you know that you're making me need you? <laughs> what are you doing? I don't, but this, I'm not bragging about this, okay? But there's times where I feel like, this is what exposes in me. That sometimes following God means I have to follow God. And maybe God wants me to need him. But again, I want control and comfort. And God wants something better for my life than that. I don't like question marks. I don't like to have to live by faith. But God in his love will send trials. And it will feel like it is there to kill me and you. Um, or to hurt us. Or to punish us. But for God's children, you need to know this, though. Listen, beloved, it is your friend. It can be your friend. Not the the trial in and of itself. But through this, God wants to bring healing to save us, to save you, to test you, to make you more radiant and beautiful. To make you who God wants you to be. And I don't think we'd have the courage to be if God didn't guide us there, take us there. James says that trials, they make, you need to know that, that they make you steadfast. No one... No one wants to be sort of the, no one wants to grow up to be the sort of the hissy-fitting baby. No offense if they're here today. Uh, but really, uh, no one wants to grow up to be the person who's like, who really is undone at every little thing, who's, who's super fragile, who, who's whiny, who's a total jerk. No one wants that. Right? I think if we all were, most of us at least were honest, we want to be strong, we want to have mental toughness, we want to be well-rounded, we want to be whole. We want to have integrity. Um, we want, you know, when things happen in our life, we don't want to be tossed by the waves everywhere. When the curveball comes, we don't want to freak out. But God in his love says, and this is beautiful to me, and I was thinking about this text. God in his love says, I'm going to tailor make just what you need for your life for you to grow. He is hand-weaving, not just, it's not like a blanket salvation, but God is tailor-weaving, he is tailor-making, he is weaving your beauty and your salvation. He's committed to that. He covenants himself, he, he puts his blood on the line for that. He wants to make you beautiful. He makes, wants to make you into something that you, you probably wouldn't be by yourself. And he wants us, um, <clears throat> the words that James uses, to be perfect and complete. Perfection really just means maturity and not lacking anything, right? We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But this is the point. Uh, God is committed to taking us there. He's committed to our beauty. Again, I think one of the portrayals of Christianity that is often misrepresented is, is the idea that if you come to Jesus, you will be happy. Come and you will be joy from inside out. That's who you'll be. Of course, inevitably, trials, pain, and suffering come at some point or another. And of course, pain and, and suffering then are antithetical to happiness. So all of a sudden, there's sort of this collision of sorts with what we were promised and with our reality. If I'm not happy and I'm a Christian, something must be either wrong with me. Like, what's wrong with me? I struggle. I don't know how to love my kids all the time. I'm not the perfect mom or dad. I'm angry sometimes. What's wrong with me? Am I, is, is some, there's something wrong with me? Um, or on the other side, is something foundationally 
wrong with Christianity and, and Jesus. Because it's either me or Jesus, right? So what often happens is what often happens is either you're destroyed by our situations, by our realities, or, or people, and I've had friends do this, they just ultimately leave and dismiss Jesus altogether. Because he promised something. I was supposed to be great and happy, and, I'm, and I struggle still. Um, if you're going to have joy in suffering, you need to answer these two questions, I think, that I heard asked, that every kid is asking. And this is, I think Dan Allender, again, was maybe the one who, who coined this. He said that there are basically two questions that every kid is asking. Am I loved, and can I do whatever I want? Am I loved, and can I do whatever I want? And, and Dan Allender said... There's basically four answers to this or four types of parents. There's the no-yes parent, which is no, you're not loved, and yes, you can do whatever you want. This is the indifferent parent, right? This is the parent who's like, here's the swimming pool, one-year-old. I'm out. Peace. (laughs) Good luck swimming. Like, the indifferent parent. Then there's the the, the, the second one is the yes, yes parent. Yes, I'm loved. Yes, I can do whatever I want. And this is like the party parent. This is the friend parent. Um, if you ever watched, uh, what's that show? Wife Swap? Never mind. Don't ever watch that. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you know, this is the parent where you look at it and it seems like a good idea maybe, but it's a disaster and those kids end up despising their parents. They despise their parents. And then there's the no, no. No, you're not loved. And by loved, I also mean like. No, you're not loved. No, you're not liked. And no, you can't do whatever you want. And I would say my experience is most often this is the Christian parent. Talking to college students. This is the way they view their parents. Um, and this parent, is they're the distant parent. Not that, no, not that any Christian parent would say like they don't love their kid. But, but their kids... Do, they would, their kids would be shocked if they, they found out that their parents liked them. And then there's the yes, no parent. Yes, you're loved and liked, but no, you can't do whatever you want. In the Bible, God says, this is, this is the picture of our father, right? This is the Bible. This is Jesus. God says no because I love you, and I love you not just in words, but it being, God's not like, there's no's, but he shows us in his actions how committed and how much he loves his beloved children, right? God, who himself would be tempted, for the sake of his bride, would go into the water and not be picked up so that those who are his would never be let go of. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is how committed Jesus is for those. And for those of you who are suffering right now, God is for you. We know that because Jesus did not get the hand in the water. He would go under and not get the hand because, because he's that kind of father. He's that, he's that good. And if you want to experience the goodness of God, you have to go where he is. Those hands, um, you have to go in the water. You know, I was thinking about this. Just a, we're in the process of adopting again, Kelly and I and, and the Johnson kids. Um, I was thinking the things in my life that I, I mean, I thought... If I look back five years ago and all the fears of all the things that could go wrong with adoption and how much I wanted to avoid it, this is not like a yay is me or something like that. I promise you that. But I, I mean, I, we, this last week, we're, we, we filmed for Show Hope a testimonial thing and it got me thinking about this story that God has been so gracious to write. And as, as, as I, we're talking on this 
the film, um, which is really an, a weird experience. Um, but as I was doing that, I had to recount the goodness of God. And I thought to myself, man, everything that, I, like, if, if I would have avoided this, I would have missed life. Um, everything I want, like, not that, in the, and I will tell you, that, and in doing so, and moving towards adoption, this is just one area. Like, we have had, there's things that we've had to experience that have been really hard. And there's times that, um, there's things I just never wanted to see in my life. But if I would have missed that, I would have missed everything. I would have missed the beauty, the, the reality of what God's doing, not just in our life, but the, the reality of the gospel coming to life and seeing what God is doing in a broken world. Like, tangibly, it's God's grace. But it's those things where if you want to, you know, a pastor get up and say, go love, I mean, God loves you. You want to experience the love of God. Step out and do something where God is. And, and you know what you're going to find there? It's probably going to be in places where there's brokenness. But it's in those places of brokenness that you will find Jesus. And you will find healing and redemption in ways that you could not imagine. Um, I could tell you that all day, but in some ways, this is, I think, with James, don't avoid the trials at all costs. If you want to find... Uh, I mean, this is kind of good news, guys. This is going to be shocking to you, maybe. Jesus is not Satan. Jesus is not Satan. He isn't even you. There's this passage in Luke. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Which is kind of, like, ridiculous, right? But, like, Owen and Knox, they're like... Hey, Dad, can I, have, can I have an egg? And I'm like, close your eyes. Rattlesnake. Gotcha. I would not do that, guys. I promise. Uh, if, and this is what Luke said. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what James and Luke is saying is, you know, I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's like when you pray, I've heard this before and I've thought this before. I'm afraid to pray for that because if you pray for that, God's going to give it to you. Don't pray for humility. God will crush you. (laughs) But that's not the good news, guys. The good news is, I think what James, what Luke, what Jesus is saying is that God is for you. He loves you. He's committed to you. All of history Read the Old Testament and the New. This is the people of God over and over again. God, have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill me? Have you, caught, have you brought us out here to kill us? We're on the water. The waves are crashing in the boat. Jesus with his disciples. You're going to sleep while we're dying? Are you, we left everything to follow you. Do you not care? And with a resounding, resounding... God's, Jesus says, no, it's the exact opposite. I, am, I love you. I'm for you. I'll give my life for you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You're not going to be the first child in the history of redemption that Jesus drops on his face. Even though, even today, it feels like he has. He does not drop his children. He is for you. He gives good gifts. He's committed to making you beloved. He's committed to you to making you something more beautiful than I think we can imagine. More free, more stable, more lovely. More a person who would do things that we're less likely to do. If it was up to us, I think all of us would run back to Egypt and to slavery. And Jesus says, no, I love you. 
I'm going to hand weave your salvation. I'm for you. So um, he gives us good gifts. So when the trials come this year, or and again, I, I, I know there's different trials and, and so forth. Um, but for those of you who, who aren't maybe there yet, I mean, one of the beauties about gospel community, right, is we do suffer together. We rejoice together and we suffer together. So there's trials in this room this morning, and, and I, I hate the trials. And I think it's fair to say we hate the things of brokenness. But it's in those places, too, that we, that we get to see the hands of... We get to be the body, we get to be the hands and feet of Christ, but we get to also see them. Um, and we get to see something beautiful. But in the coming weeks, in the coming months, will you avoid the trials at all costs? Or will you cling to the God who is at work to make you radiantly beautiful? Will you begin to move towards those dangerously broken places in your life that you're afraid to move towards? Will you let go of control that you never had to be in the hands of the one who will never let you go and who loves you? Let's pray. Lord God, um, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Oh God, I just feel like I just talked about something I know so little about. Um, But Lord, you know so much about it and your spirit is at work. Lord, would you heal and would you bring great encouragement to those who are suffering this morning? Would you wrap them in the shadow of your wings? Would you use your body to help do that? For those who have trials coming, would you remind them in those seasons that you are not committed at our destruction, but you are committed for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.